Massachusetts officials have now opened four temporary sites for families waiting for a spot in the family shelter system. It's better than sleeping outdoors, but experts say it's still hard on parents and children. In a moment, we'll hear about the latest site to open in Roxbury's Melnia Cass Recreation Center, called the Cass by locals. But first, WBUR's Gabriela Emanuel brings us the story of one family that's been staying at one of those overflow sites. And a note, WBUR agreed not to use their full names because they fear losing their place in the shelters. In mid-December, John, his wife, and their daughter arrived in Massachusetts with a plan. A friend had invited them to come and start a new life. But when they got here, they couldn't find their friend. Lost in a foreign land, John says a taxi driver took them to one of the state's family welcome centers, which provides resources for new immigrants. There, John found other families like his. Originally from Haiti, they'd fled unrest. John's family first went to Chile. But eight years later, life was hard and the U.S. seemed promising. Now, John found himself shuttling from the Welcome Center each day to Logan Airport each night, along with more than a hundred other migrants. He says at Logan, he used a bag as a pillow and put his daughter, who's almost three, on his chest. They spent 12 nights staying at a baggage claim before they heard rumors immigration agents might find them. John and his family left in a hurry and found a spot at one of the state's new overflow shelters. It's hot inside the overflow shelter, he says, but after nine at night, you can't leave. John says there are cots lined up for about 200 people, and everyone shares two bathrooms. He says if you need to go to the toilet, you might be the 10th or 20th in line. The shelter is only open at night, and everyone gets up at 5 a.m., John tells me. During the day, his family waits at a welcome center. At night, they return to the shelter or risk losing their spot. John says he's holding off tears as he speaks with me. He's never been in such a bad situation. His main priority is his daughter. He glances at her as she naps near us in a stroller. She's almost old enough for preschool, but can't yet walk or talk. He doesn't know why. Aura Obando from Boston Healthcare for the Homeless program says this family situation isn't outside the norm. We definitely see it. It's not surprising to me, I guess, but it's, it's heartbreaking. She says there's a body of research that shows homeless children have developmental delays and learning disabilities at four times the rate of children who are housed. That's why like the argument is to really shorten that experience of homelessness because a lot of it could be reversed. And she worries about families like John's who are waitlisted for shelter and don't have access to the services that come with a shelter placement. She says in 10 years, she's never seen Massachusetts in such a dire spot. The past few months have been especially bad. We were getting a lot of reports about families being outside in the middle of winter, and I never imagined we would be in this space. State officials have begged the federal government for help, particularly with the growing immigrant population. But John says he doesn't blame the government. (laughs) 
He says he blames himself because he's the one who came. But now that his family is here, John doesn't know where to go or what comes next, except to return to the overflow shelter each night. WBUR's Gabriela Emanuel joins us now. Gabriela, welcome. Thank you. Good to be here. Hey, incredible reporting there. Um, I'm interested to hear, look, we're both parents and hearing about (laughs) how children are experiencing this crisis that affected children. What are your reactions to hearing your own story after reporting it? Yeah, um, as you said, it's really affecting when you see children who are in just really tough situations. And this little girl, her developmental delays, I became almost fixated on figuring out whether she was an outlier or if this was something that we're seeing regularly in the shelter system. And you heard a little bit from Dr. Obando there, who's at Boston Healthcare for the Homeless Program. But I actually um, reached out to a bunch of others because I just really wanted to know, is this um, outside the norm? And there was, um, interestingly, one uh, shelter provider, Family Aid, their contractor for um, 150 different shelter units. Um, And they, unlike many other shelters, actually do an ages and stages questionnaire for every kid in their system. Mm. And they told me that... um, they are seeing this in kids, and they are actually seeing lower scores on those questionnaires than they were just a few years ago. Um, so I think, as you said, it is these kids and these kids' stories that, at least for me, uh, is most affecting. And what we are seeing right now is not just an increase in the number of homeless families, but also it looks like an increase in the need within individual families. And those kids are actually further behind and need more support than they were just a few years ago with, you know, another family that was in a similar, you know, situation of homelessness. Right. So as of Friday, 671 families uh, on on the state wait list. And and, and that's, a Gabriela, a wait list to get into these shelters, 671 families? Yes, exactly. So all of these families have um, gone through this pretty exhaustive, laborious process of bringing documents and proving that they qualify for the shelter system. Over the years, the number of qualification requirements has gone up. So all of those families qualify. Um, That means they're Massachusetts residents. They have a very low income. They have no other options. And those uh, 671 families have Um, are waiting for another family to leave for a spot to open up. I see. Okay, I want to ask you just to peek behind the curtains a bit as a fellow reporter. um, Was there anything that, uh, that didn't make it into your final story here? Yes. So that piece that I was talking about just earlier, what does it look like kind of in the rest of the shelter system? How unique is this story? That was one thing I really wanted to find out. And we ended up wanting to profile just one family to kind of zoom in and bring you, uh, bring our listeners, you know, the story of one one family. Um, So we didn't go into the broader shelter system, but it definitely is symptomatic and something that is being seen more broadly. So I think that piece didn't necessarily make it in, um, but uh, there was reporting and we wanted to make sure it was representative. Well, 671 families on the wait list, 671 stories of how people got to the United States and are in Boston. I mean, the family that you talked to was in Chile for for eight years. I I talked to a family recently um, that was also in Chile. They're living in Quincy now, and they were in Brazil before that. 
Um, this is a some some powerful stuff. Um, but but um, I, I want to bring up Gabriella that this is your last week at WBUR, um, and you're leaving yeah. to cover global health for. NPR, um, the future of the state's emergency shelter system has has become your main focus over these last few months. Um, are there any moments that stick out to you from your time on this beat uh, that you'll remember beyond WBUR? Yeah, um, it it's a beat I will be very sad to leave um, just because it it's moving so quickly, unfolding, and the kind of twists and turns are... Um, uh, never easy to predict. And there are many moments that will stick with me to answer your question. And I really do think, as as you mentioned at the very top, it's the children's stories that will stay with me. I remember there was this one family I was profiling. They didn't um, have access to the shelter system uh, because of their immigration status. And uh, they were in um, a situation with a, a landlord who was abusive and actually making the oldest of the three kids shoplift for her. Um, there were other kids that I've seen who've, you know, been potty trained for years, and now because of the stress of homelessness, have right. started, you know, wetting their pants again. It's those little kids that I think I'll remember. Gabriella, you have a few more stories on the way before you leave us for <laughs> for other pastures at at NPR, um, and and there are more stories related to the migrant population in the state. Mm-hmm. If you could give us in twenty seconds a quick preview of those stories. Yes. So just as you were talking about uh, families that spent years elsewhere, uh, many in Latin America, um, one story looks at this uh, population of newly arrived immigrants that make up about half of our shelter population. And it looks at what has their path to Massachusetts been like. Many left Haiti, many, many are from Haiti, I should say, and many left six, seven, eight years ago. Where have they gone? What is it like? And what brought them here? So one story looks at that. Another looks at um, pregnancy. Again, in this immigrant population, some of the kind of harrowing challenges they face, as well as gaps in the Massachusetts. WBUR senior health and science reporter, Gabriella Emanuel. Gabriella, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. Now we turn to the latest overflow site that just opened last week at the Melnia Cass Recreation Center in Roxbury. WBUR's Paula Moda has been talking to officials and community members about the opening. We spoke with her earlier this morning, and I started by asking her how we got into this situation. So last year, Governor Maura Healy announced a cap uh, for the family uh, emergency shelter system of 7,500 families. That's what they could do with the current state funding. So from there, the families started entering a waiting list. Dozens of more families kept arriving and started sleeping on the floor at the Logan Airport. So the state opened three overflow shelters, but this wasn't enough. So by mid-January, the state was looking for a new site to open an overflow shelter. And that's how we got to the Melnia Cass in Roxbury. Through our reporting, we spoke to five people very close to the matter, and we learned that the city of Boston was already looking into 15 facilities that could shelter migrants. So state and city officials actually visited five of them, including Suffolk Downs and the West Roxbury campus. 
So by the week of January 22nd, the state was seriously considering the case and reached out to local representatives to do a community listening session on a Friday. It all happened pretty quickly, and by Monday, the decision was made, and by Wednesday, the first migrants were arriving at the CAS. And so we actually have some tape from that press event uh, last Wednesday. Let's listen. We're here today because... We really don't have a choice. Families continue to come into this country, continue to come into Massachusetts. Yeah, you can see she conveyed this sense of emergency, right? Yeah, and what I'm interested in, we hear a lot of pushback against the use of a site in, in Roxbury, um, to, you know, which is, which is already facing its own challenges. And uh, it's, it's the loss of, of a resource, this recreation center. Why did the state choose the Melnia Cass Rec Center as a shelter site? So while they were looking at those facilities, what I learned from the reporting is that because it was more accessible, they had more bathrooms, and it was ready to be used. Okay, so this is a state-run facility, but it's in Boston. It's in Roxbury. What is the city saying about this? Yeah, so uh, Boston Mayor Michelle Wu um was not happy about it. She spoke at the community listening session. Let's listen. Taking offline a community asset that was specifically designed for community programming to be used in this way. And that I, I take very seriously. For me, that has been um, a big sticking point. It seemed by the end of the session that Mayor Wu still had hopes that the cast was not going to be the final choice. Yeah. You had a really interesting interview with Boston City Councilor Tanya Fernandez-Anderson. Uh, she was involved in a lot of the conversations with state officials about what led to the decision to choose the Melnia Cass site. Talk to us a little bit about the conversation you had with the councilor. Sure. So Fernandez Anderson was at the press conference with Governor Healy, and she said she was quite sure that the governor knew Roxbury would give her smoke. So I wanted to know what she meant by that, and how was the dialogue with the community about bringing the overflow shelter there? The governor is not oblivious that she's coming to a neighborhood that's historically disenfranchised in one of the poorest neighborhoods in Boston. People are going to push back. People are going to express... um, you know, uh, their opposition. Yeah, and they did. Mm. They did that at the community listening session Mm -hmm. that Fernandez Anderson and her fellow local representatives helped organize. 250 people showed up, including Mayor Wu, and the governor stayed there for the whole three hours in the session. Fernandez Anderson says the governor was emotional at the meeting. I really do believe that the governor's intentions are pure. And I do believe that Obviously, her hands were tied, and she looked at state-owned properties that she could figure the situation out. And um, it just so happened that one in Roxbury uh, could accommodate the services as they needed them to be executed. Yeah, and City Councilor Fernandez Anderson also said that, yes, the community felt as a burden to lose temporary access to the recreation center and that Roxbury needs investments for its residents in so many fronts. But despite that, they haven't lost sight of the humanitarian issue. She said that they asked at the meeting what type of accommodation and services the migrants would receive and also how they could help. The community has been expressing, my constituents have been expressing, you know, without a doubt, we want to help the Haitian migrants. Without a doubt, these are our people. 
Yeah, and many in the community are immigrants themselves, like Fernandez Anderson. Yeah, indeed. I mean, Fernandez Anderson herself came to the U.S. from Cape Verde as a child. Yes, uh, she was telling me that, like, she knows how it is to live in Roxbury, uh, the needs of the community, and also uh, what is it like to be an immigrant and how she felt welcomed in Roxbury. We have some tape from Boston Mayor Michelle Wu speaking on Radio Boston. Let's give it a listen. It feels like a particular inflection point when we are now taking offline buildings that are beloved and well-used and dedicated to community programming because we now have such a crisis. Paula, you've done a lot of reporting in the community over the last week. What else are you hearing from folks active in Roxbury? Yeah, uh, I spoke to Sadiki Kambon. He's the director of the Black Community Information Center. And he said he's sympathetic to the migrants, but he says officials didn't consult the community enough. You know, it's just a, a broad level of disrespect for our community that we encounter on a regular basis. He told me he wants to meet with the governor to advocate for walk-in health clinics at Nubian Square. He referred to the area as a healthcare desert. You also spoke to a track and field coach at the Melnia Cast Center who was forced to not be able to hold his his, uh, practices there with with his kids. Talk about that. Yeah, so Sekou Dilde is a volunteer coach uh, with the Boston United Track and Cross Country Club. He says the group empathizes with the migrant situation but needs a space for the club's 30 kids to practice. These are local residents that rely on this program and they enjoy it and they love it. It's an outlet for them and they should not be punished. Yeah, and I just spoke to Sekou yesterday. The kids didn't miss a class last Saturday. They had to wake up a little bit earlier, but they practiced at the Reggie Lewis Track and Athletic Center. He told me the kids loved it because the venue is a world-class venue much better than the cast. So they got a little bit of an upgrade from this situation. Interesting. (laughs) Um, This shelter in Roxbury is one of four overflow shelter sites in the state, though it's the first one uh, that's opened in Boston. Put this opening into context for us. Um, What are the other sites that the state's operating? Sure. So the Roxbury site is the one with the largest capacity. It can shelter up to 400 people. But there are other sites in Revere, Quincy, and Cambridge. The one in Revere has 150 rooms for families that are there for a short time before going to the shelter system. The one in Quincy has 57 rooms, and the site in Cambridge can shelter 200 people. And that compares to 400 people uh, in Roxbury. Yes. Um, Will this one in Roxbury be enough? We don't know if it's going to be enough. By Friday, the state was expecting nearly 200 people to be there, half of the capacity. Okay, so this is a temporary site. It's open through the end of May. Uh, But in the meantime, what happens to all the activities planned for the rec center? What happens after May 31st? So the state is arranging for all the activities to be relocated. And the state also promised to upgrade the facility to give back to the community in June. So the expectation is that the community will have their pull back for the hot months. Okay, so a net positive for Roxbury, at least after May 31st. Paula, are there any unanswered questions that you have after spending the last week reporting on this issue? Yeah, Simone. Um, 
I'm still thinking like where all the activities will be relocated to. Uh, will other people be as lucky as the the trekking field kids? Uh, how this will play out for the community vendors? Because the state also uh, promised to hire community vendors for food, for uh, laundry and other services. And also what will happen to the migrants after May 31st? At the press conference, I asked Mayor Wu, uh, and she said they don't know yet. That was WBUR's Paula Moura.